This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. So today we're going to be talking about baptism. Um, One of my responsibilities here at the church, I I wear a few different hats. I have a few different responsibilities. But uh, one of my responsibilities is when someone signs up to get baptized... I teach a class for those who are going to be baptized on baptism, what baptism is, why it's important, and why we do it the way that we do it here at Word of Grace. As I just stated, it's important not just to do the right thing, but to know why you do it. And so uh, when Pastor Derek slated out the, uh, the plans for uh, the series for the year and what uh, each week he was going to be talking about when it came to baptism. He said, well, Pastor Stephen's already teaching that in the class. I'm going to let him uh, teach that message as well. So, ta-da, here I am today, and you get me. Uh, so I'm excited to, to talk about this. Uh, I have conviction about this. I'm excited to share. And uh, before we go any further into the scripture and talking, let's pray and let's ask God to bless this time. God, we thank you so much uh, for for who you are and for everything that you've done for us. Um, you are awesome, Lord. The, the English language that we have uh, doesn't have enough words to explain how awesome, how mighty, how uh, majestic, how glorious you are. Um, we could spend every, every word that we are aware of and fall short of explaining how awesome you are. And so, God, we just thank you for what you've done for us, what you're doing in us. We're thankful that you're even mindful of us with with holding the universe up and sustaining everything that's going on in the universe, the fact that you would zoom in to planet Earth and zoom in to Wisconsin, zoom in to our lives and be mindful of us is a greatly humbling thing. And so we're thankful for that. And I just ask today that uh, as we get into your word that you would protect us from error, from misunderstanding truth. I pray that you would protect us uh, from offense of the truth. If there's something that is in the scripture that is true, that is contrary to something that we have uh, been familiar with or believed, I pray that you would give us the grace to let go of uh, what we know and, and receive and gripe, uh, grasp onto the truth. And God, above all, I pray that you would be glorified today in everything that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Well, we're going to be talking about baptism today. Now, it's important right now that if you're here and you know here at Word of Grace the methods of baptism that we practice, which if you don't know, we're going to be talking about it. But if you have family members or co-workers or classmates or friends or something like that that practice a different type of baptism than we do, let me just say right now, the purpose of this message is not so you can load your gun so next time you see them, like, yeah, here's why our baptism is right. That's not the point of today. Today's purpose is so that we can grow in our conviction and our understanding of why baptism is important and why we do it the way we do it. It's not to go and try and pick fights and try and have uh, vain arguments about uh, scriptural things. It's so we can know why we do what we do. Having said that, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to give you what I believe to be a pretty sound definition of what baptism is. And then from that, we're going to follow that up. I'm going to break it into parts And uh, then we're going to put scripture underneath it because ultimately what I think and what you think just does not matter. What matters is what the scripture says, right? Because our opinions can change. Our opinions can be wrong. 
You can genuinely believe that if you flap your arms fast enough that you can fly. But if you jump off of a cliff and flap your arms as fast as you can, you're not going to fly, right? So it doesn't really matter what we think or what we believe. What really matters is what's true and what Scripture says. Amen? All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, This definition that we have for baptism today is baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. Let me say, if you're a a note taker, go ahead and write this down. I know it's long, so we're going to leave it up on the screens for a little while. But baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ and his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God and an emblem of burial and cleansing signifying death to the old life of unbelief and purification from the pollution of sin. Now, that's a lot. It's a big definition, but I believe that that really pretty much captures what baptism is. And I'm going to read it one more time, and if you're taking notes, I want to write it down. Um, But it is, baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. We're going to break down what that means. It is by which those who have repented and come to faith They express their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God and an emblem of burial and cleansing signifying death to the old life of unbelief and purification from the pollution of sin. So that's what baptism is. Now the very first thing that we said right there is baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. Baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. What does ordinance mean? Because that can be a church term that we hear, uh, or it could be a political term we hear about city ordinances. That means that the local city government passed an ordinance. Um, I had to learn the hard way about an ordinance that's instilled in Sheboygan Falls when I moved up from Texas. You know, we don't have snow down there, Um, and so there's a few things that are a little different. Uh, for instance, I moved up here and I parked on the side of the street during the wintertime. You all are going, oh, duh, that's what happened. I left my car overnight, and then the next morning when I went out, there was this pretty little yellow piece of paper on my windshield under my wiper, and it wasn't an invitation to a party, and it wasn't a flyer for something. It was a citation because I disobeyed a city ordinance of you are not allowed to park overnight on the sides of the street during the winter because there are snow plows. We don't have snow plows in the south. We don't have snow in the South. So all that to say, an ordinance is something that has been instituted. In fact, let's look at the definition of what an ordinance is. Ordinance, an authoritative rule or law, a decree or command. Second definition, something believed to have been ordained as by a deity or destiny. So it's an authoritative rule or law. It is a decree or command. And as that second definition states, it is something believed to have been ordained by a deity or destiny. We here are believers in Christ, so we can erase the word deity, and we can place Jesus in there, we can place God in there, that we, an ordinance is something that has, is a law or a command that has been given or decreed by God. That is what an ordinance is. And so, very first, as we said, baptism is an ordinance of the Lord. Now, before I get talking a whole lot more. Let's see what the Bible says about this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. It's in the New Testament. It's the first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 28 is the last chapter in Matthew. Now, let me give you a little backstory real quick. This is when Jesus has already died on the cross. 
He has already been buried in the tomb for three days. He has already been raised from the dead. And he's taken 40 days after being raised from the dead to walk around Jerusalem and surrounding areas to, uh, to confirm that he is raised from the dead, to make himself known to the disciples. Um, and so he's walked around for 40 days following up his resurrection. And this is the last day he's with his 11 disciples. There was 12, but Judas went, went south. Um, he has 11 disciples left at this point. He takes his 11 disciples and he goes up on a mountain in Jerusalem. And he's about to ascend into heaven to be with the Father. Okay? And so this is the last moment Jesus will be on the earth with his disciples, with these guys who have lived with him and followed him and been with, been with him and gave up everything to be with him for three years straight. Okay? These guys have given everything. They are Jesus' closest friends slash family, if you will. There's nobody closer to Jesus than these guys. And Jesus is going away. He's not going to see them for a long time. In fact, until he returns, Jesus has still not come back yet. But he's going away. Now listen, if there's someone in your life that carried that significant of a role, that if they were someone who you dearly loved, who you have spent so much time with, you have a very special relationship with them. If you are going away, you're not going to see them for a long time, pretty much the rest of their lives, the last thing you say to them is probably going to be significant, right? You're not going to be like, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Peace, I'm out. Not what's going to happen. You are going to probably say something very sincere and very important, very heartfelt. Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. He's going away. The disciples aren't going to see him anymore. And what does he say? Let's look at it. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are red letters in my Bible, meaning Jesus is saying them, the God-man himself. So that right there we see is an ordinance instituted by God, because in case you haven't caught on yet, we believe Jesus is God, okay? So Jesus is God. He says, go make disciples. And then he explains the process of making disciples by saying, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and commanding them or, or in teaching them to follow all the commandments that I've given, or before I paraphrase, paraphrase and botch it up, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there we have it. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, says, go make disciples, baptizing them. So that's the ordinance given by the Lord, we don't, it's not something that religious leaders in the olden days got together and said, uh, you know what, we really think new converts should be baptized. We think we should, that's a good idea because, you know, it just who doesn't like a pool party and we can make it spiritual, so let's baptize folks. That's not the way it went down. Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I've given. And he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So right there, we see clearly it is a command given by 
God. It's not debatable. Jesus didn't say, go into the world making disciples, and if they feel like it, if they've got a decent swimsuit, you know, whatever, if they feel good about it, you know, if you've got a good rapport with them, then go ahead and get them to get, uh, get baptized. He said, no, making disciples, bapti- or go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now you could say, well, yeah, that was a long time ago, and that was like early church stuff, and Jesus has already left, and maybe that isn't still going. Well, let's look back at what Jesus said at the end of that passage, verse 20, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, let me help you understand that the end of the age hasn't come yet. The end of the age is when Jesus returns. And he hasn't returned yet. So the ordinance of baptism is still in place. It hasn't ceased. It's not done. We should still be practicing it. Now let's go further. Number two, baptism expresses union with Christ in his death and resurrection. The key wording there is expresses. Baptism expresses union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. This is going to be the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Rome. Uh, Just not long ago, we went through the entire book of Romans. It was a really awesome, great series. I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's where we're going right now uh, for this point that baptism expresses union with Christ in his death and resurrection. So Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in the newness of life. Let's think about what Paul says right there. He's talking about baptism. He says that we were baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. Now, that doesn't, thank God, that doesn't mean the pastor's supposed to hold us under the water until... (laughs) We're baptized to death. (laughs) That's not what he's saying. He's saying symbolically, Jesus died on the cross for us. That's a literal thing. That's not a symbol. Jesus physically was crucified, died on the cross for our sins. And he says, when you are baptized, we are baptized with Christ into his death. Okay? And then going on in verse 4, he says, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in the newness of life. So he's painting a picture right here. He's showing us, illustrationally, baptism is a picture of the fact that Jesus died and was buried, and he was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans, that the the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, that when we were baptized going under the water it is a symbol a picture of us being buried and dying the same way that christ died and was buried when we come up out of the water it is a picture a symbol of jesus being raised to the dead and we in the same way as it says in that scripture are raised to walk in the newness of life or we are being raised from the dead spiritually because until you're born again until you're a christian until christ makes you new inside you are spiritually dead okay And so we were buried with Christ and we were raised to new life in Christ. The water is the symbol. Listen to me, this is very important. Baptism is not a means of salvation. It is a picture of salvation. Okay? 
Baptism is not a way for you to get saved. You do not become saved by getting in the water and being dunked. Because if that were the case, we'd just have a word of grace pool party where we'd invite everyone, and then we'd get them in the pool and be like, guys, we're going to play this new kind of Christian version of Marco Polo where everybody gets in there, and everybody, you're going to close your eyes. And we're not going to say Marco Polo. We're going to say Father and Son, okay? So you guys say Father, and I'll say Son. Everybody's walking around with their eyes closed, and we're like, in Holy Spirit, you know. If baptism saved folks, that's what we would do, right? We'd be going down to the beach, Lake Michigan, every week, and be like creeping up on on people who are swimming and be like, how's it going? You know, and they'd be like, cool, strange person. I don't know you. And be like, it's all right. Hey, listen, uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. (laughs) You're a Christian now. (laughs) And we're going to jail. Because it's not the water that saves us. It's not the dunking. It's not the pastor or officiant that saves us. It's faith in Christ. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, pastor Derek went here this, uh, to this exact same passage last week because he stole my notes. And that's not true. I'm kidding. If anything, that should show some significance that we didn't confer at all with our messages, didn't look at each other's notes, and we're both going to the exact same scripture to make the exact same point within our messages Ephesians chapter 2, this is one of the most famous Bible verses there is because it's one of the most important Bible verses there is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The Apostle Paul, right there, breaking down how salvation happens, okay? So if you're thinking you need to get baptized so you can get saved, wrong. Ephesians right here is telling us we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. I used to wonder, God, why, why grace? Why did you set up grace as the means of salvation? I mean, shouldn't, doesn't it make sense that we at least do our part, you know, that we get that you died for our sins and paid for our sins, but shouldn't we you know, do our part to, you know, to help this whole salvation process take place? But if that were the case, then we could start to try and develop a little, a little swagger in our step and go like, yeah, I'm saved, you know. And let me tell you something, God hates that. He hates pride. He hates self-righteousness. It is disgusting to him when someone thinks that they can be good enough to receive his gift of grace and salvation. That's why. He wanted salvation to be given in a means to where all that we could have the opportunity to do is go, whoa, God, you're awesome. I'm a sinner. And for some reason, you decided to save me because of your grace and your love. We have no room to brag. It's the awesome thing about it and the the annoying thing about it is that I can't go, (laughs) I'm a Christian. No, it's God saved me. So we see from Ephesians 2, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, which means there is nothing you can do. 
No practice, no ordinance, no church attendance, no number of prayers, no scripture memorization, no good deeds, no community service, no helping little old ladies cross the street. None of it is going to make God go, oh, well, I'm impressed. I think I'll save you. God paid the highest price with his son, Jesus Christ, gave us the gift of salvation, and it is only received by faith. You can't do a thing to earn it. That is why we believe baptism is not a means of salvation. But just because it's not a means of salvation does not at all belittle its importance. It is very important. One, as we stated from the first point, it is an ordinance commanded by the Lord. If you believe the Bible, if you believe Jesus is God, that's pretty weighty, that's pretty significant, and you can't really put yourself in a position to say, well, I don't know. You can't really say that. Because God himself, Jesus, said, do this. He didn't say if you feel like it. didn't say, you know, whatever. Flip a coin. Jesus said, do it. So it's very important. But let's go further into why it's important. As Apostle Paul showed us in Romans chapter 6, and as it's on the screens, the big point, the baptism expresses union with Christ in his death and resurrection. It is a picture. It is a symbol just like this. My precious. <laughs> I'm a big Tolkien nerd. Anyways. This is my wedding ring, given to me by my beautiful wife, Katie. There she is. Um, This ring was given to me as a symbol of our marriage, as a symbol of our union, a symbol of our covenant together, a symbol of our vows and our commitment to each other. Now, factually, it's a piece of metal. Putting this on my finger does not make me married. You can go to the jewelry store or a Cracker Jack box, get a ring, put it on your left ring finger, and not be married, right? What makes you married? What makes you married is the fact that you have found someone that you love so much that you are willing to create a covenant with them before God to become one and you give vows to each other of that covenant before God, before your family, your friends, and even the state. That is what makes you married. The vows you have with each other, the love you have mutually together, the commitments you make to each other. That's what makes you married. What makes you married is what has happened in your heart, what you do, and this is the symbol of that. That doesn't mean this is not important. If I was standing with my wife and you walked up to me and and pointed at my finger and said, that's not important, my wife might beg to differ. She'd say, excuse me? You crazy? About to jack slap somebody? She wouldn't. She's graceful. But this is very significant. And it is very important to me as it is very important to her. Why? Because it is a symbol of what has happened in our hearts. Also, it's a symbol to everyone else. When I go to a restaurant, 
If someone was interested, <laughs> just saying, don't know why they would be, but if someone was interested, <laughs> heartbreaking over here. Someone was interested, see this, and they would know I am taken. I am not available. I belong to someone else. That's what baptism is. Baptism is a symbol that says, I'm taken. I belong to Christ. I'm not my own. As Paul said in Romans 6, I was buried with Christ, meaning I died to myself and I died to sin and I died to the old sinful ways and I am now a new creation in Christ. It is not the, it is not the act of salvation. It is the picture, the dramatization, the symbol of salvation, which is why it is important, not why it's not important. So in case you're sitting there thinking, okay, Baptism isn't a means of salvation. I don't have to be scared about getting hit by a bus anymore because I haven't been baptized. It's not a, not a means of salvation, but listen, this ring is incredibly important to me. It's very important to me. It's very important to my wife. Hopefully, if you forgot to wear your ring today, you have your hands in your pockets already. It's a symbol that represents things that are very important. It is a symbol that represents things that are going to last the rest of my life during the ups and downs, for rich or poor, sick or health, all that. This is a reminder of the covenant we made together to become one. Man, I've got to stop looking over there where she is. She's getting me choked up. She's so pretty. <laughs> Baptism is an expression of our union with Christ. It's a symbol. It's a picture is not a means of salvation. I, uh, last year, um, I, I took a part-time job working at Bemis Manufacturing, making them toilet seats, what, what? And uh, I worked there part-time on third shift, and because of that, I have compassion. I'm able to pray for anyone who works on third shift. More power to you. Um, I took a part-time job there. I worked there eight months uh, because I knew I was going to be getting married. I knew I was going to propose, and that bling-bling ain't cheap. <laughs> Let's get real. And <laughs> jewelry ain't cheap, and neither is a ceremony and all that kind of stuff. And so I was going to try and supplement my income a little bit, try and put some finances in the right places so that I could get married and, and uh, not go on welfare and stuff. So I started working at Bemis part-time to just bring in a little bit more money to help get ready. And I, I made a lot of friends there. And, you know, when you work part-time, you're, you're working next to people on this line. And you're working there. And you're, you're there next to these people for eight hours. So you talk about stuff. All sorts of conversations happen. And it's funny, I, uh, after I've been there not very long, you know, people start asking, you know, so, so do you have another part-time job? What else do you do? And that's the fun part because of what my job is. And so, you know, do you have, Stephen, do you have another, another job? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor at Word of Grace. <laughs> so if any of you don't work in manufacturing, <laughs> the language <laughs> is not the most gracious and pleasant. Um, so it's fun. They say, you know, 
do you work, have another job? Yes, I'm a pastor at Word of Grace Community Church. And immediately it's, listen, I'm sorry about the way I've been talking. Uh, (laughs) See, what had happened was, like, you know, everybody does it, and it's just, it becomes programmed. And so they've got, you know, all that. But so there's this one guy that I worked with, uh, became friends with him. And, and uh, one night we're working together and stacking toilet seats for eight hours. And so we're stacking toilet seats and we're talking. And it's his turn to ask me that question. He hasn't asked me yet. So he says, so Stephen, you got another job? What else do you do? And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor at Word of Grace. And, and he's like, <laughs> like I said, oh, well, the language, we, we, we went through that. It took about 10 minutes. And I was like, listen, man. I don't care. You don't have to change because of me. And, uh, and so then he said, and here's the fun conversation following. He said, yeah, you know, because this is what would always happen. They would apologize for language, and they'd follow it up with their spiritual conversation. And so uh, he says, yeah, you know, one time this one lady, she said to me, you know, she's a, one of those uh, born-again Christians, you know. And he said, and she's all like, you know, Hey, man, you, you got to be born again. You got to be reborn. And I'm like, listen, lady, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I'm like, yeah, you know the first five books of the Bible? And he's like, and I said, I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I went through catechism. And so I don't need that reborn stuff. Now, let me say, those are all good things. So don't take offense like, Pastor Stephen said the baptism and catechism and confirmation. No, 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 shut it. I'm not saying those are bad things. They're good things. Catechism is good. You learn good, important things. But my heart broke when he told me that. My heart broke for him because in his story, I could hear that he thought he was saved because of the things he had done which takes away from what we just saw in Ephesians chapter 2, that it says, by grace, through faith, there is nothing you can do. It's only in believing the gospel that someone is saved. It's only in believing that Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. That is the point of salvation. So, it's important we understand that, that it's only a symbol not a means of salvation. It's a picture of salvation. But the fact that it's a picture and not a means does not mean it's not important. My ring is very, very, very important. Here at Word of Grace, we practice baptism by submersion, going totally under the water. Now, uh, we do that because of what we believe is seen in the Scripture, okay? Anytime you get into the Bible and you see baptism, there was huge bodies of water involved, and people were being submerged. And let me take it a step further. The actual word baptism, baptizo, in the Greek, literally translated means to submerge. So if you lived back in Bible days and you heard Jesus say, go therefore making disciples or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you would have heard him say, go therefore in, uh, into all the world, making disciples of all nations, submerging them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's literally what the word baptizo means, the Greek word. That's one of the main reasons we practice uh, full submergent baptism. Another reason is that every account in the Bible that you see 
of baptism, there, that's either clearly what's dictated, that someone is submerged, or there's other great implications, like, for instance, in Acts chapter 8, where uh, the apostle Philip was commanded by, the Lord, or commanded by an angel of the Lord to go to another place uh, because God was going to use him to save somebody. And so he comes across this eunuch, and uh, he starts talking to the eunuch. The eunuch was reading through Isaiah. He says, do you even know what, that it, what it means that you're talking about? Long story short, he breaks it down for him. The dude believes the gospel. The eunuch becomes saved, and he's, they're riding in this carriage. And the eunuch says, hey, there's a body of water. What's going to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing, let's go. And so he takes him down, and it says they walk into the water. Now, there's three modes, methods of baptism that I'm aware of. There may be more, uh, but the three that I know of are submersion, which is what we practice, full submersion under the water. There is uh, sprinkling, where the officiant would dip their hands in water and sprinkle it on whomever they are baptizing. Uh, another that I'm aware of is dabbing, where you, the, the officiant would dip their fingers in the water and dab it on whomever's forehead. Those are the three methods I know of. There might be more. Maybe somebody practices water gun baptism. I think that would be the best, but unfortunately, that's not in the scripture. So, like, super soaker would be ideal, <laughs> but that's not what we see in scripture. Because here's the deal. If, if it were just sprinkling or if it were dabbing, did they need to get into the water? Not really. I mean, why are you going to get your gear all wet? Why are you going to get, you know, who knows where you're going after that? You want to be all wet wherever you're going. No, they could have, you know, Philip could have just, you know. But that's not what happens. There's no account in the Bible that, that, um, that encourages either of those concepts. Now, once again, don't take this and go to your friends who might have been sprinkled or dabbed or whatever and be like, you ain't really baptized. That's not our place. That's not our place. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's role, okay? But just so we know, that's why we practice submersion baptism, because the word literally means to submerge. And two, because every account we see in Scripture was submersion. Let's move on to number three. Baptism. Baptism is an expression of faith and therefore is for believers only. Baptism is an expression of faith, meaning you believe the gospel, and therefore it is for believers only. It doesn't make sense for an unbeliever to get baptized because, as we said, it is an expression, a display, a symbol of the faith that you have in your heart. So if you don't have the faith in your heart, what's the point of getting baptized? It is for believers only, which is why, one, baptism is not for the unbeliever, but two, here at Word of Grace, we believe that baptism is not for the infant. Now, let me explain why. If baptism is an expression of the faith that you have in your heart, you have been saved, you believe the gospel, you have faith in your heart, now let's go through the ceremony, let's have this expression of our faith. Infants cannot believe the gospel. It's quite simple. An infant cannot fathom understand their depravity, their sin, their need for grace. They cannot understand that Christ died to pay for their sins. An infant cannot understand those things. Let's go to the scripture for this. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. I don't want you to just think this is my, my philo- philosophical development. We do this because it doesn't make sense because let's get into it. Colossians chapter 2, verse Verses 11 and 12, once again, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Colossae. That's why the letter is Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, In him 
You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's break this down. In him, who do you think he's talking about? Easy Sunday school answer, you can shout it out. Jesus. Jesus. In Christ, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, hopefully everyone in here um, understands circumcision, because I'm not breaking that down today for you. <laughs> okay? I'm not taking the time to explain that. It says, in him, in Christ, we were also circumcised, but notice, with the circumcision made without hands. Now, circumcision, as we know it, is made with hands. That doesn't mean necessarily with hands, but physically. In the Old Testament, it was with hands and a sharpened stone. Thank you, Jesus. It's 2015. (laughs) It was made with hands. This circumcision that the Apostle Paul is talking about is made not with hands. And he's not talking about the little bands or whatever they use today. He's talking about it is a spiritual circumcision of the heart. If you go to Romans chapter 4, you'll see the Apostle Paul explaining that a true Jew is not one who has been circumcised in the flesh, but one who has been circumcised in the heart. That does not mean we go to our cardiologist and say, cut me up and cut me, <laughs> cut me open and cut me up. Like <laughs> circumcision of the heart, salvation is not a heart surgeon's job. It is the Holy Spirit's job. He goes on to say that we were circumcised uh, with a circumcision not of hands, that uh, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So circumcision in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was a symbol of cutting off the body of the flesh, the body of sins, okay? That's what it was a picture of. New Testament, that circumcision takes place in our heart. Thank God that there is no physical cutting that needs to take place. It is a physical thing in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it is a spiritual thing. And so it says, By the circumcision of Christ, verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him. Here's the key wording. Through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The Apostle Paul is saying, If you're saved, the Holy Spirit has spiritually circumcised your heart that we were buried with Christ through faith. Once again, it is through faith. It's by grace, through faith, which tells us that it's not a means of salvation, but it also tells us that it's for people who have been saved. Okay, Baptism is for people who have been saved and, and infants cannot be saved. Now here at Word of Grace, what we practice is child dedication. If you have a newborn baby, We don't baptize them. What we do is we allow you the opportunity to come up before the church, you and your family, and Pastor Derek and the pastoral staff will gather around you, and we will come into agreement with you. Child dedication is parents saying, God, you gave us this gift of life. You gave us this child. Now we give them back to you. We trust you with their lives, and we also ask you for the grace to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. 
That's what child dedication is, and that's why we do it here at Word of Grace, because we believe infant baptism doesn't save a child. We believe you can dedicate your child to the Lord, and that when they come of age, they can come to faith for themselves, because your faith cannot save someone else. It is a child, or it is, it is your own personal, individual conviction of faith. I know uh, Pastor Derek, personally, he and I have talked about this several times. His kids, his three kids, they want to be baptized. But when they ask him, Daddy, Daddy, we want to be baptized, what he says to them is, okay, well, can you explain to me what baptism is and why we need to do it? And, and they say something along the lines, uh, because the Bible says so, which is good, it's right, that's true, it's an ordinance given by the Lord. But they don't understand what it means. So baptizing someone who doesn't understand, an infant who does not understand salvation, is like putting a ring on an infant's fa- finger. Baby, babies don't get married. Why? They don't understand marriage. They have no concept of what marriage is. And so that is a simply put display of why we don't practice infant baptism here. And also it's never seen in scripture. Uh, there are scriptures that have been used to try and back up infant baptism. I personally believe most of them have been taken way out of context. Context is king. And so... Um, that's, but simply put, baptism is for someone who is a believer. A child cannot believe. And that's why we don't practice it here. Now, we're happy to help you dedicate your children to the Lord, but we don't practice infant baptism for those reasons. Now, let's go on to number four. <coughs> baptism is doing this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to the verse that we already went to right up front. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Baptism is doing this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Jesus himself, the man who instituted it, the God who instituted it, said, Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also, uh, so, so one, that's what Jesus said to do. Now, let's, let's go a step further. Salvation is of God, it's of the Father, it is paid for or purchased by Jesus' blood, and it is, uh, it is instituted, it takes place inside of us by the work of the Holy Spirit. There we see all three persons of the Godhead Trinity at work in our lives in the act of salvation. God saves us by paying with his son Jesus and does it internally in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. All three parts are apart, and therefore it makes sense for all three parts to be a part of baptism, to be acknowledged, to be honored, to be present in the ceremony of baptism, okay? My parents were at my wedding. Thank the Lord for that. And maybe that not, might not have been the case for you, but traditionally that's the case, that your parents are there, your family is there, everyone who is a part of your life is there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all three parts of your salvation, Jesus said it, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are a part of the salvation process, if you will. So it it really just makes sense. Now, I I know some people, I have some friends who say you are to baptize in the name of Jesus, and that's it. And there are passages in the book of Acts where disciples, it says, and they went and they baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Get your glasses on. Here we go. How many of you are familiar with or have heard of the Maccabean War? Probably not many. I don't think I saw a single hand. Or the Maccabean Revolution. 
about 160 years before Christ, 160s to 167 BC, there was a, a revolt uh, of the Israeli people. And uh, the Israelites, God's people, won this revolt so prominently, it was so such an over, uh, uh, such an exaggerated victory by these people that so many people on the outside looking in went, oh, snap, their God's got to be legit because they shouldn't have won that fight. And because of that, the Israelites began proselytizing. They began converting people into Jews that were not Jews because people are outside and they're like, their God's real. I want to follow their God. And so because of that, well, they said, well, awesome. People want to serve our God. They want to be Jews. Well, let's, what are we going to require of them though? Because we can't just let them in and that's just it. What are we going to require of them? And they said, well, let's, let's one, if they're a male, they got to be circumcised. Two, if, uh, two, they have to, let's make them agree to follow the Mosaic law, the commandments. And then three, uh, let's baptize them. Let's make them baptized to be a symbol of them, you know, ending their old life and, and joining this new life. That is the historical start of baptism. It wasn't where we first saw it in the Bible with John the Baptist. That wasn't the first time that someone was baptizing, okay? The first time people were baptizing was when they were converting people into Judaism. So having said that, let's fast forward to the New Testament, to the book of uh, Acts, where we see in the New Testament there are a few cases where the apostles said, uh, where, where it said that they baptized in the name of Jesus. I don't believe that was to say we're going to baptize in the name of Jesus only and leave the Father and the Holy Spirit out of this baptism. What it was is we are baptiz- baptizing you into the faith of Jesus Christ. There were different options of baptism available. You could have been baptized into Judaism. So when they said, let's baptize these guys into Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were saying, let's baptize these guys into our faith in Jesus. They weren't saying that in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and let's take the Father and the Holy Spirit out. They were saying, let's baptize them into the faith that we have, which is in Jesus. Do you understand? They weren't, they weren't saying, let's just do it in the name of Jesus. From what I believe I see in Scripture, I believe they were saying, we do this into faith in Christ. But Jesus himself said, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and we see that all three are present in the work of salvation. There is also, there have been arguments for the fact that circumcision was the Old Testament symbol of being a child of God, and the New Testament symbol is baptism. Well, let's, let's go historically here. When was a child baptized if they were a Jew? If you don't know, a Jewish child, a male, was baptized on the eighth day of his life. On their eighth day, I'm sorry, not baptized, circumcised. A Jewish child in the Old Covenant was circumcised on their eighth day, okay? So that's an infant. That's a child. And some have used that to reason and argue that, well, since uh, children in the Old Covenant were receiving the symbol of being in God's family, then infants and children in the New Covenant should receive that symbol as well in the new covenant, which is baptism. The, the problem, well, they're right in one sense, because here's the deal. In the old covenant, you were born into the family of God. You were born a Jew or you weren't. And if you were a male and born a Jew, then you were, you were circumcised because you were born into the covenant. Okay? 
If you were a child of Abraham descending down that line, which God created the covenant, Father Abraham had many sons. Okay. Abraham was the father of the faith. And if you were physically, naturally, biologically descended from his line, and you were a male, you were circumcised, you received the symbol of the covenant. Why? Because you were born into the family. New covenant, New Testament, New Covenant, flip side is, hey, guess what? You are born into the family when you are born again. You do receive the symbol of being in God's family as a newborn baby spiritually. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, no man can come into the Father unless he is born of water and of spirit. That means he is spiritually born again. He's naturally born and then spiritually born again. Your spirit is made new. So baptism is for newborns, but it's for newborn Christians, okay? That symbol in the old covenant was a natural thing. The new covenant covenant is a spiritual thing, okay? There were a few shifts between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, only males were circumcised. In the new covenant, men and women are baptized because women come to their own personal faith, Okay? And the old covenant, it was natural. In the new covenant, it is spiritual. As Romans 4 stated, and as Colossians 2 stated, that there is a circumcision, not of hands. The heart is circumcised and made new. And in the old covenant, it was by birth naturally. In the new covenant, it is by birth spiritually. As we said in Romans already, that when someone is born again, or that, that it says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It's the same Holy Spirit from Matthew chapter 1, if you read when, when Mary conceived Jesus in her womb, it says, and Mary conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who put Jesus inside of Mary's womb. She was a virgin. It is the same Holy Spirit that makes you a newborn Christian inside, makes your spirit new and unified and connected with God. Are you following me? I hope so. If not, you can ask me later. The point of all of this is that baptism It's an ordinance of the Lord. It is a command. It's not an option if you're a believer. It is very important. It's not a means of salvation, but it is a picture of salvation, and it is therefore very important, just like this is is very important. And honestly, your relationship with the Lord is more important than your relationship with your spouse. And so baptism is even more important than your wedding ring. I'm not belittling your wedding or saying that your relationship with your spouse isn't important. God's a huge part of that. Please don't twist my words. What I'm saying is the symbol of baptism is very, very important. And so if you're here today and you have not been baptized, I would say, oh, guess what? Good news. We have baptism on February 22nd. Just a couple weeks away, Sunday, February 22nd, at 2.30 in the afternoon at Sheboygan Falls High School, we're going to have our next baptism. And uh, so, so here's what I would say to you today. If you're a believer, if you're born again, you have faith in Christ, you have not been baptized, you need to ask yourself if you're serious about this relationship and you want to put the ring on. Because otherwise, I don't know if you can really say to yourself that you're a disciple, because that's a fully devoted follower of Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I was dating Katie, we were dating. Things were going well. I was stupid for a little while. <laughs> Thank God she stuck with me. And Meaning I was just annoying in some ways. 
And, uh, but then one day, actually on Christmas Eve, I got down on my knee and I put that bling bling in her face. <laughs> when I presented that ring to her, I made a statement of how serious I was about my relationship with her. Because it was expensive. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's not why. It's the implications of what came after. When presenting that ring to her, I was saying, I want you and only you for the rest of my life. And I want people to be able to look at your hand and know also that you're mine for the rest of your life. Baptism is the same thing. Saying, I want people to know I belong to Christ. I am proud to wear this ring. I love wearing this ring. I love it. I'm proud of it because I'm proud of this crazy woman that decided to marry me. You should be so proud of your Lord Jesus who saw you in your sin and chose to die paying your penalty, your death sentence. That's not something like, okay, but can we like just go to a private pool and, and do that because I don't really want to do the whole spectacle thing. I don't really like the spotlight. No, the spotlight in baptism is not on you, it's on Jesus. Amen. The spotlight in baptism is on Jesus because he saved you. And you are putting the ring on and saying, I'm serious about this. I am serious about being a disciple committed to following Christ. And I want to show, I want to go through the dramatization. I want to go through that picture of dying to myself and being buried and then being raised to new life in Christ. I'm serious about this. So that's what you've got to ask yourself today. If you're here and you have not been baptized, you've got to ask yourself, are you serious about your faith in Christ? Or do you just want to play the church game where you come to church and you sit in the, mess and you sit in the seat and you hear the good message and you clap along with the songs and then you go about your life? Because if you're serious about it, you need to wear the ring. Jesus commanded it. It wasn't an option. Now, secondly, I have another thing to say. I was six years old in Sunday school and I, the, the teacher was teaching and he said, you know, if you want to receive Christ, then raise your hand. And I raised my hand and I repeated a prayer after him. I said this prayer and they're like, okay, well, you're saved now. You need to get baptized. I was six years old. Now, I, I did it. I was baptized at six years old as a young child. And, but I got to be honest before you, standing before you today, at that moment, I might have understood what they were saying that Jesus died on the cross for me. I can understand that. I can understand someone dying for me. But I did not understand that I was hopelessly lost in sin. I did not understand that I needed Jesus or I was going to be damned to hell. I did not understand those things. And I did not understand why this nice man wanted to dunk me underwater. It was what I was supposed to do is what I was told, so that's why I did it. But it meant nothing to me, really. Fast forward umpteen years, I come to my own genuine, real faith. The Holy Spirit reveals truth to me, opens my eyes, and shows me my need for Jesus. <laughs> shows me that if I don't have Jesus, if I'm not born again, I'm lost. And in that, he made me new. He saved me. I received his spirit. 
I became a new person. From that, I had conviction. I need to get baptized. Why? Because I was personally saved. I had my own personal faith. So having said that, if you're here today and maybe you were infant baptized or baptized as a child, and listen, I'm not saying children can't be baptized and children can't be saved because they can. It's different for everyone. Some children can understand that at certain ages. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, one, you need to have your own faith. It can't be because mom and daddy said so. It can't be because you were baptized as an infant. If you've been baptized as a child or as an infant and you didn't understand it and you didn't have your own faith at that point, I would say that you should probably get baptized again because it needs to mean something to you more than a, a kid running around with a ring on. It needs to be personally convicted and personally significant to you. It needs to be your decision and have that meaning. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You shouldn't even come up to me and get, you know, what do you think I should do? That's between you and the Lord. But having said that, we are having baptism. We are having baptism on February 22nd, which is just a couple weeks away. And I think that list should be fuller than it's ever been. Having gone through this and made pretty clear what baptism is and why it's important, um, I believe the Lord's dealing with hearts right now about following through with that. So let's all bow our heads as we're going to close and get ready to head out of here. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.